So let's pray together as we prepare. Baruch atah Adonai laheinu melech haolam asher kitshenu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. When I think about the wilderness, I think about two lessons. The first lesson is that we need God and we will always need him. And the second lesson is we need each other and we will always need each other. Many people are okay with the idea of needing God some of the time. But there are moments when we feel like we've got the competency, the experience, the discipline, the skill, the understanding. And in a sense, we say to the Lord, okay, I'll take it from here. To be dependent on God and to recognize that dependence is something that's not pleasant for everyone. But actually, in the wilderness, we learn to be dependent on God. We learn that we need him. And... It's revealed to us through experience, through real life. In the, in the same way, many people are happy to get help from others, but there are moments when we just want to be able to do things ourselves. How many like to be able to be competent and to accomplish what you need to do on your own without needing anybody's help and so forth and so on? Yeah. And sometimes, in fact, for people, it's easier to help others than it is to receive help. How many can identify with that? Uh-huh. In, in the wilderness, we learn we need each other, and we need each other at every level. We learn we're not independent. We're not, we're not living a spiritual life that's just God in me. You see, there are a lot of people who think, that it sounds really good. It's just God and me. All I need is the Lord. But the Lord had a comment on this at the very beginning of human history, and he said it's not good for man to be alone. But think about it. Man wasn't really alone. He was with God. Plus, he had dogs and cats and <laughs> other animals. But it wasn't good to be alone. Man needed other people. He needed a wife. He needed, he needed family. He needed society around him. And so when we think that we're independent, we can think, oh, I'm okay with needing God. I just don't want to need people. In fact, we're called to be together as people, together with the Lord. This life of faith is not meant to be lived alone or detached from others. Not only are you not alone, you need other people. So if you're sitting next to someone, smile at them and say, you need people. You need people. Uh, that wasn't so hard, was it? Okay, now smile again and say, I need you. I, I need people. I need you. I need help. In, in Numbers chapter 1, we read that the Lord tells Moses to take a military census. And it's interesting to look at all the different descriptive words and phrases 
that identify how people are to be noticed and counted. And I think in this is a revelation that we need people at every level. We need them uh, in many ways. Even though this particular count was for the military, it wasn't just about individuals. So let's read uh, Numbers chapter one, verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses in the Sinai desert in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month of the second year after they had left the land of Egypt. And he said, take a census of the entire assembly of the people of Israel by clans and families. Record the names of all the men, 20 years old and over, who are subject to military service in Israel. You and Aaron are to enumerate them company by company. Take with you from each tribe someone who is head of a clan or extended family. These are the men to take with you. And then there's a list of specific people by name. And so you see something in, in this that there are different levels here. There's the individual, there's the family, there's the extended family, the tribe, and, and then that, um, that society that is to be a nation the people of Israel. And they're all being identified here because they all count. But there's one other thing I want you to take notice of. And it's maybe easier to understand if, if tonight, in the middle of the night, you found out a decision was made that all men, and in America, all women 20 and up, have to show up tomorrow morning for the draft. What would that tell you? It would say, something's up. What's up is that there's preparation for war. In the same way, when the children of Israel are being counted, they're being prepared for something, that there will be battles ahead. There will be war ahead. Now, I want to tell you this, what they experienced in, in, in this situation is similar to what we need to experience and what we do understand. And, and I think some of you can confirm this. When you joined the Messianic movement, you may have thought, oh, this is great, and you came with smiles and happiness. And then you got involved and you found out there's battles in ways I never imagined. Things that used to be easy are now difficult. Anybody have that experience? Not many of you. I'm gonna feel bad for myself. In fact, when you become part of the family of God and the kingdom of God, you are entering into a present reality that includes battle and includes war, spiritual warfare. That's why there's lots of instruction about spiritual warfare. And if you have this idea that you can avoid it or evade it for your entire life, then you will spend your life wrongly and you'll use your time and your energy wrongly. We need to be prepared. Well, the passage goes on and says in verse 16, these were the ones called from the assembly, the chiefs of their father's clans and heads of thousands in Israel. And so Moses and Aaron took these men who had been designated by name 
And on the first day of the second month, they gathered the whole assembly to state their genealogies by families and clans or extended families and recorded the names of all those 20 years old and older, as well as their total numbers. Moses counted them in the Sinai Desert just as the Lord had ordered them. So think about the descriptors of different levels here. Assembly, chiefs, fathers, clans, heads of thousands, whole assembly, families, clans, names, total numbers. All these various levels pay attention to people in many different ways. And, and they paint a picture for us. We will need people at many different levels. And we also learn from this the value of one person. Individuals count. But we also learn the value of many, that groups count as well. Now, look at that person sitting near you or next to you and just tell them, I need you. I need you. I need you. Now, for some people, this is one of the hardest things in the world to say. Some people are choking right now. It's almost as painful as a perfectionist saying, I'm not perfect. I need you. I was thinking about a time about 20 years ago when Rabbi Yuri and I were traveling together. We were in Chernovsky in Western Ukraine and I had hurt my back, and I could not um, carry my own bags, and I hated it. Can, can anybody identify that there are times when you can't do what you normally can do, and it's just awful? I hated it. However, I loved it. And here's why Rabbi Yuri understood my situation and he said, let me take your bags. And my first response was, no, no, no. And he said, yes. <laughs> and he said, you can't. And I said, Ugh. I hated being dependent on one hand. I loved the fact that I could depend on Rabbi Yuri in that simple way. And I think when we only allow ourselves to feel the negative side of dependency, we don't really value what God has in mind. We need each other. We need each other, and we will always need each other. And we can never be successful in this life without other people. As well, other people need us. And for this reason, it's important to recognize that everyone counts. And one of the things to recognize with that is that we need to be able to count on everyone. It's useless to have relationships with people who you can't count on. It's important to be a person that others can count on. God looks at it this way, that faith and faithfulness are one and the same. The faith we have in him um, is only authentic faith when it is also reflected in our faithfulness to him. Simply saying, I agree with the Lord, is not the same as doing in a way that pleases the Lord. Now there's a second lesson which is captured so well in the Haftor portion. You can turn to Hosea chapter two. 
Verse 10 in English, verse 8 in Hebrew. In this Haftorah portion, the Lord is saying, you don't realize that you need me all the time. In fact, you don't realize that some of the things that you think you accomplished, I actually did for you. You don't recognize that I was there providing for you when you thought you were doing it yourself. This is how the Lord put it. For Israel doesn't know it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil. I who increased her silver and her gold. You see, there is this human tendency at times of need to pray, and when God answers and provides, we're so relieved and we're thankful for that immediate moment. And then after a while, when we don't have such need, we're saying to the Lord, okay, I got it now. I think I can take it from here. But the Lord is saying to Israel, I'm the source of your resources. You and I may not recognize this all the time. It's a lesson for all of us, and it's in the wilderness of this world that we learn this lesson. So one of the characteristics of the wilderness is that we discover our own insufficiency, and we discover God's sufficiency. Now, as we go on in Hosea chapter 2, it's really an interesting moment because the Lord is describing Israel in her unfaithfulness, in her independence, in her lack of recognition of God, who he is, what he does, his authority, and his goodness. And the Lord promises um, that he is going to accomplish something with Israel that's a, re a restoration of relationships. And this promise of God is a revelation of the faithfulness of God. Um, this builds on the message from last week that the love of God sustains us, and it's the original source of our ability to love. We don't merit his love. We don't rise to some level of holiness and righteousness where God then says, oh, now I see how good you are, how holy you are, and I'm going to love you. But rather, when we are even adversarial, when we fail, when we're unfaithful, he loves us first. And the outpouring of that love that comes to us, equips us, it heals us, it transforms us. He remains faithful to us despite our own faithlessness and independence. Now, as he recounts Israel's unfaithfulness, we can all relate to it. And then in verse 21 and 22, he makes a shift about his promises to be faithful. And I want to point out something. It would be so easy for God to say, you know, you really let me down. You've really disappointed me. I've done so much for you. I've loved you so freely, and you don't even acknowledge me. And so, honestly, I'm finished with you. It would be easy to understand that. But it would also be easy to understand if he says, okay, I'll take you back, but you got a lot of territory 
to cover with me. You got to fix a lot of stuff. You know, I don't trust you. I don't even like you. I'm just doing this because of obligation. But that's not what the Lord says. In verse 21 in English, the Lord says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in grace, and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me with all my faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. This is such a great revelation of the faithfulness of God. He's not carrying over his anger or his disappointment. He's not withholding affection. He's saying, I'm going to love you so much that this is a thing of the past, not a thing of the present or the future. I'm going to love you in such a way that we will be able to be honest with each other and truthful with each other and, and just and gracious to each other and compassionate. I know how much I love you and I'm going to make this work. That's what the Lord is saying to Israel. And it's a continuation of grace that the Lord is pouring out. Now, I was thinking about the time that Sandy and I take each year uh, around our anniversary to be with each other and by ourselves. And it's important to us. It's important to me because it's a way of investing in my wife and saying, I'm madly in love with you. You're, you're dear to me. And it's a way of us saying, I value you. And our relationship is of such importance that, that we need each other. And we need to stay fresh together and to have new experiences together. Not with other people. That's also important, but not at that moment. Just with you. And in the same way, the Lord says, I need you. I love you. I want you. I want to be with you. I, I want my heart to be so strong with you that you know I'm devoted to you. It's one of the lessons for the wilderness. We need the Lord. And we learn to love that need. We need each other. We learn to love that. In the wilderness, we find ourselves in constant need. It's where we experience a continuing dependence on the Lord. And it's where we learn we're not self-sufficient. Some people hate this. I know I have. Being in that condition where my competency, my experience, my resources are not enough. How many have found themselves not able to do what they know how to do? You just can't do it on your own, even though you want to. Our need for God is experienced in the wilderness, even when we are competent and trained and disciplined. It's because one of the most important lessons of the wilderness is we need God. And we need him all the time. And it's important to be prepared for that. And to say to the Lord, I have a never-ending need for you. I need your direction. I need your guidance. And I need you yourself to be with us.
Now, as we're getting ready to welcome Shavuot tonight, I want to encourage you to, to remember this, that it was on Shavuot that the scriptures were given. The Word of God was given, Torah was given, and it was on Shavuot that the Holy Spirit was given. And these two are important, they go together. We're celebrating the giving of Torah and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And we're remembering that on the first Shavuot after Yeshua's resurrection and return to heaven, it was the beginning of prophecy being fulfilled that Joel had spoken about, about the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh and blood. It was the answer to prayer that Moses had uttered when he said, I would hope that the Spirit of God would fall upon all of God's people. And so we're remembering that this, is, this outpouring of the Spirit is the work of the resurrected and ascended Messiah. Resurrected meaning he was raised from the dead. Ascended meaning he returned to heaven. We're remembering also that the Scriptures are breathed by God. And I want to close with a word from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 15. Paul saw how the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit were connected. And he said to Timothy, from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. Now think about that. What were the Holy Scriptures? It was the Tanakh. Because at Timothy's infancy, none of the writings of the apostles had been completed. From infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Messiah Yeshua. And then look at, look at verse 16. All Scripture is Spirit-filled. All Scripture comes from the Holy Spirit. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and fully equipped for every good work. Paul, who loved the Holy Spirit, did not disconnect the Spirit of God from the Scriptures of God. Or say, well, the Scriptures are all we need. There's a danger when we think, oh, I want to have the Holy Spirit, but I, I don't really need the Scriptures. It's not authentic. It's not true to the apostolic teaching or their experience. We need the Spirit of God. We need the Scriptures. We need them together. And as you're coming tonight for Shavuot, I want you to, to come with this attitude, Lord, I want to have a hunger for the Scriptures. I want a thirst for righteousness. I need more of you. I need your Holy Spirit. And I think as you do this, then you can be praying, Lord, I need you. And when he pours himself out upon you, you will experience more of his great love, the love that he spoke of in Hosea, that betrothing love, that, that uh, husbandly love of his. And so I want to encourage you, come and be with us tonight, pray with us, minister um, receive ministry. It's going to be a, a really great time. Rabbi Yuri is going to be bringing a word about Shavuot, and we're going to be as a community together. Sandy and I will not be able to join you tonight. We will be 
on our way to Richmond, Virginia for our grandson's high school graduation. So we won't be here physically, but in spirit we will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this wonderful day. And thank you, Lord, for the lessons of the wilderness. We need you and we always will. We need each other and we always will. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So I want to ask you to stand up and remember this. We're not sticking around here. We're going to the Shalom Center. You pick up your children first. All your stuff. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Meet us next door at the Shalom Center.